Okay, can you all hear me? Bad luck. Um, this is a slightly different version of the story of the prodigal son, which George has asked us to be, re- uh, to be read. It's entitled intriguingly, and on a musical theme, it's called The Prodigal Son in F. Good luck. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his father to fork over his farthings. Fast he flew to foreign fields and frittered his family's fortune, feasting fabulously with floozies and faithless friends. Flooded with flattery, he financed a fully-fledged fling and fast food. Fleeced by his fellows in folly, facing famine and feeling faintly fuzzy, he found himself a feed-flinger in a filthy foreign farmyard. Feeling frail and fairly famished, he fain would have filled his frame with forest foods from the fodder fragments. Fooey, he figured. My father's flunkies fare far fancier. The frazzled figure, sorry, the frazzled fugitive fumed feverishly, facing the facts. Finally, frustrated from failure and filled with foreboding, but following his feelings, he fled from the filthy foreign farmyard. Far away, the father focused on the fretful familiar form in the field and flew to him and fondly flung his forearms around the fatigued fugitive. Falling at his father's feet, the fugitive floundered forlornly, Father, I have flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favour. The faithful father, forbidding and forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch forth the finest fatling and fits a feast. Faithfully, the father's firstborn was in a fertile field, fixing fences while father and fugitive were feeling festive. The foreman felt fantastic as he flashed the fortunate news of a family, fa- of a fa- sorry, of a familiar family face that had forsaken fatal foolishness. Forty-four feet from the farmhouse, frowning and finding fault, the firstborn found father and fumed, floozies and frivolity from flittered family funds, and you fix a feast following the fugitive's foolishness? The firstborn's fury flashed, but fussing was futile. The frugal firstborn felt it was was fitting to feel favoured for his faithfulness and fidelity to family, father and farm. In foolhardy fashion, he faulted the father for failing to furnish a fatling and feast for his friends. The far-sighted father figured, such fidelity is fine, but what forbids fervent festivity for the fugitive that is found? Unfurl the flags and finery, let fun and frolic freely flow. Former failure is forgotten. Folly is forsaken. Forgiveness forms the foundation for future fortune. Amen. Amen. Well done, John. <laughs> for this, this story, this parable that we know so well. Thank you for your words. And Lord, I pray for George as he shares a new light on this. That we would hear what you have to say for us.
through him. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think he deserves a round of applause, don't you? <laughs> it is incredibly hard to do. Actually, though, when I said about the uh, prodigal son in F, I meant to sing it. <laughs> now, there's a challenge. <laughs> no, no, don't say joking apart, it's actually that parable that we're all so very familiar with holds a very, very serious question. And the question I think that it's addressing is, is simply this, what is God actually really like? What is God like? And, and, and Jesus, uh, throughout his teaching uh, and his ministry, I, I think was constantly addressing that question and trying to redress the misconceptions that were there. But what do you think? It's an interesting one. When my daughter was little, um, she once said to, to my wife, Joan, she said, uh, Mummy, what's God like? Now, how do, you, how do you describe God to a five or six-year-old? Well, you have to use very concrete language and, and, and known terms. Uh, my wife, uh, first school teacher, so uh, very familiar with all of this, said, well, um, it's a bit like your dad, but he hasn't got a body. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. And so Ruth puzzled for a few seconds and said, so are his legs joined to his head? <laughs> body. Yeah? And Joan had to start again. When atheists say, I don't believe in God, well, one of the classic answers to give them is, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Because I probably don't believe in that God either. And then I'll tell you about the God that I do believe in. Because often it's complete misconceptions about God that people don't believe in. When I was a vicar in Blackpool, um, those who've been to Blackpool will know that uh, one of the, the things there is the, the Hall of Mirrors. And uh, you look into all these mirrors and, and you see a distorted image. And uh, they're all various ones. And, and there's one that makes you look tall and thin. Uh, and there's another that makes you look short and fat. Um, guess which is the most popular? <laughs> yeah. Um, what mirror do we look at God through? What, what distorts our image of God? Uh, and I think whether we like it or not, we, we have to face the fact that, that we don't have a perfect image of God. And that affects how we then relate to him. It affects our spirituality. It affects our Christian walk, our discipleship, everything about our lives. So, what is our view of God? In uh, the, the day of Jesus, uh, the, the common view of God uh, was, of course, God as uh, the, the righteous one, uh, the judge, the lawgiver, Moses, the lawgiver. Um, and, and, and there were the Ten Commandments. And uh, the, 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 it was basically, I will be your God and you will be my people if you obey my commandments. Now, I know there's an awful lot more to the Old Testament than that. 
But, but that was the essence of the covenant. And of course, the, 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 the Jews, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders uh, went into great detail to try and understand what it meant to actually obey the law. And, and as well as the Ten Commandments, uh, there were hundreds of additional commandments and there were tomes and tomes of explanations of what it meant to keep the law. And so the Jews were known as, well, they were known as the ones who believed in one God and God alone. I wouldn't believe in any others, but they were the religion of the law. And, and, and throughout, I think, Jesus is addressing the, the misconceptions and the difficulties that that created in terms of their awareness and their knowledge of God. So what's your picture of God? Is God the lawgiver? The judge? That you have to creep round? Or is he Father Christmas? And, and really it doesn't matter what you do, he's still going to give you all the presents. Or is he a teacher? Or a policeman? And we've all got different, slightly, images of God. So let's look at the, the passage. Um, uh, I, I think it was okay to read it in F because you probably are fairly familiar with the story of the prodigal son. I'll trust that you are. I remember someone uh, a while ago now saying, actually, uh, it's the wrong title, the parable of the prodigal son. And I thought, oh, yes, yes, of course, I've heard this before. It, it's about the older brother, really, isn't it? Uh, a lot of this parable. And he said, no, no, he says, um, it's the parable of the prodigal father, as Steve mentioned earlier. The parable of the prodigal father. I thought, really? And, and if you look up the word prodigal and how it relates to the prodigal son, it says something like this, giving or yielding profusely, lavish recklessly extravagant, lavishly abundant, and profuse. And that, of course, describes the, the son, doesn't it? He went away and he recklessly squandered all the family fortune. And his friends were very fortunate because they were the recipients of all of that. But how about applying that to God the Father, the prodigal father? The father who gave his son everything, the father who, when his son returned, having squandered that, still welcomed him back and gave him everything again. An extravagant, generous God who has given us everything and given everything in order to make it possible through Jesus for us to be welcomed back and gives us everything through the Spirit in terms of all the gifts that we need in order to know, love and serve Him. What an extraordinary, generous, extravagant God we have. You see, the father in the parable had every right to disown his son. He'd gone off He'd made a complete mess of it. And in everybody's understanding of, of how things were in those days, that son was no longer a son. He had lost his birthright. But when he comes back, that, that wonderful picture of the father, uh, of him seeing 
his son far away, and he runs towards him. So, something that was uh, so out of keeping that that would not be what the patriarch of the family would do. But this reckless love means that he runs towards him and he has his arms wide open and he hugs him and welcomes him back. And of course, the son's got that prepared speech. Father, uh, treat me as one of your servants. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he wouldn't have it at all, would he? The father, through a party, welcomed him back completely. Reckless, extravagant, abundant love. That is what Jesus is saying about the Father. That's what Jesus was teaching, left, right, and center. That's what was Jesus was showing in the way that he treated all the different people who came to him. Jesus, the friend of outcasts and sinners. The religious leaders of his day, you see, they got it all sewn up. They knew exactly how to stay on God's right side. You followed all these commandments and the additional commandments, and all the rules and the regulations, there were the comments on the commandments. And if you meticulously obey that, then God was pleased with you. And Jesus said, rubbish. That's not God at all. God loves everyone, no matter what they have done. And just as the prodigal experienced the father's forgiveness when he returned, so we, any of us, can experience the father's forgiveness and embrace, no matter what we have done. Of course, most of us here are quite good, aren't we? Yes. Beston Hill Church. High reputation in the diocese. Looking out at you. Respectable people. Well, most of you. (laughs) I'm not looking at the front row. (laughs) Imagine if at the press of a button, on the screen there, or the wall, suddenly appeared all the things that you've said this last week. Everything that you've said even the things that you muttered. When you were on your own in the car driving and that person cut you up. Or whatever it might be. Suddenly there they are. Would you want everybody to see that? Because of course God sees it. And then I press another button and guess what pops up next? All your thoughts of this last week. Your secret thoughts. Even when you said the right thing to that person, what you actually thought when you said it. Would you want that up? I I would not want you to see what I've been saying or thinking this last week. Seriously, I would not. But God can. And this recklessly extravagant, loving God, the prodigal father, says to us, Welcome. I still love you. Welcome back. Come home. Don't hide. Come to me. You're still my son, my daughter, who I love so dearly. The prodigal father, extravagant love. And of course, when the son returns, what does he get? He gets gifts. There are three gifts mentioned. And, 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 and 
I'm speculating a little bit here, but, but, but just think of some of the significance or the symbolism that can be behind some of these gifts. That the first thing he gives him is a robe. And we've already talked and sung, haven't we, about robes and robes of kingship. But the Bible often talks about the robe of righteousness. And, and, and there's the son in absolute tatters. You know, he's, he's become a pauper. He's been feeding pigs. He's traveled miles and miles and miles with no money. Can you imagine the state of him? And what does the father do? He puts on him a cloak. And it would have been a regal cloak. It would have been a beautiful cloak. No, no, no thought about the cloak getting dirty. And this was to cover his son's shame. The cloak or the robe of righteousness. And that's what we're given, isn't it, when we come to Christ? The Bible says that Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He who had no sin was made sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And we receive his righteousness. We receive complete forgiveness, no matter, what we, no matter what's up there, for what we've said or thought or anything at all. We are forgiven. And, and, and a lot of the language in the Bible about that is of the courtroom, isn't it? Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We are declared not guilty, forgiven. Amazing, isn't it? And, and that is what God does for us. And that's the, the picture of the courtroom. But, but the next gift takes us further and deeper into God's love. See, the next gift is the, the ring. And I don't believe it was just a, oh, have a ring. This is the family signet ring that's been talked about. This is the ring that symbolizes membership of the family. Once again, being in the fold, sonship. And actually, that ring has power. Not, not, not like Lord of the Rings, I'm not talking about that. But because of the, 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 the symbol, the seal, that's the family seal. And suddenly we move from the courtroom of de being declared not guilty into the living room. A son and daughter sat with dad. And that's the invitation. And, and too many of us as Christians, we stay in the courtroom and, whew, not guilty. Great. But we don't. We don't take that next step and enter into that deeper relationship of being a child of the living God. And, and how do we do that? The Bible says, very simple. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 again. Let me, let me read to you verses 15 and 16. Some will be very familiar. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And we need to move from the courtroom where we are declared forgiven to the living room where we sit with our Father. And then the third gift is shoes or sandals. And in those days, it would be the slaves who would go around barefooted 
but it will be the sons and daughters who would wear shoes or sandals on their feet. And to me, this symbolizes that the gifts that God gives, he doesn't just welcome us back, he actually gives us gifts by his Spirit. And so we can actually walk the walk of the Christian faith, not in our strength, but in his gifting and all that he shares with us. Too often, too often, we don't take those steps. Too often, we are too much like the older brother, who actually, uh, in a sense, we feel as if uh, we're, we're quite good Christians, um, and, and, and so we're okay, aren't we? We've kept all the rules and the regulations. Uh, we, we come to church regularly, well, quite regularly. Uh, we, we, we do what we can to be good. We, we give to... All the things that we know we should do as Christians. It is so easy to slip into the mentality of thinking, we're okay then, aren't we? Uh, we keep the rules and the regulations. Lovely phrase, I can't remember who said it now, but it's simply this. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. And there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. God simply is love. He's the prodigal father, the extravagant God. And and no matter what we do, how much we do that is good or anything else, he's not going to say, oh, I I love that one better than all the others because of all they're doing. No, he's not, is he? He can't love you any more than he already does love you. We can't earn his favor. We've already got his favor. And and no matter what we do to go away, there's nothing we can do that means he will love us any less. That, that, That prodigal son, the lost son, did his father love him any less because of all that he'd done? No. The the older brother, did the father love him more because of all that he'd done? No. He simply is the God of love. But too often, we live as slaves, not sons and daughters. You see, there are two lost sons in this passage, not one. One of the sons was lost in his sinfulness. The other son was lost in his legalism. They were both lost. And intriguingly in this parable, as often we see in response to Jesus, who was the one who entered into the Father's presence and found all that there was? It's actually the one who was lost. The one who was lost in his legalism stayed there and refused to join the party. And it's so, so easy for us as Christians to slip into that mentality of, I'm okay, I'm doing it okay. And it's not far before we can say, and God's quite fortunate to have me, isn't he? And um, God owes me a bit of a favor, doesn't he? And and so if anything starts to go wrong, we start to complain, hang on a minute, God. I I go to church, I do this, I do this. How can that possibly happen? 
Ever found yourself thinking that? I have. And suddenly we're into all the legalism. So it's what Paul addresses in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? You started off with God's grace and you've ended up back in legalism. And by the way, you foolish Galatians, I think is a very polite translation. But we all do. Because it's a natural tendency of human beings to go for the safe option. And the safe option is we know what we must do to earn God's favor, to keep the rules and the regulations so God is pleased with us. There is nothing we can do that will make him love us more. And there's nothing we can do that will make him love us less. It's a very dangerous message, isn't it, this? The message of Jesus is more or less saying, actually, God will never stop loving you. I think it was Augustine uh, in, in the early church who said, love God and do whatever you want. No rules, no regulations. Love God and do whatever. Ah, that's so dangerous. But that's the implications of this, isn't it? Because what it's all about is the relationship with God. And Jesus in this parable is trying to get to the very, very nub and center of that. It's all about grace and forgiveness. And if we start to just slip as Christians into being good Christians in the wrong way, we can actually lose the essence of the grace and forgiveness that it's all about. And we need the robe and the ring and the shoes. And the Christian journey is all about the robe, the ring, and the shoes. Always. Uh, sometimes uh, when I'm traveling around churches, I will say to people, so how long have you been coming to this church? And we have a bit of a chat about that. And sometimes I will say, and, and how long have you been a Christian? And, and we'll have a bit of a chat about that. I'm dying for someone to say in answer, uh, this morning... I became a Christian this morning. Did, did you? Because actually, I think we need to become a Christian every single morning. And probably several times during the day. To literally live in the grace and the forgiveness of our abundant, generous, prodigal father. Who is constantly there with his arms open. And, and we need to be constantly turning to those arms. That, that, that's, that's, that's true Christianity. That, that's, that's the essence of all that Jesus is saying. God is there all the time. And you see, it has an enormous implication, this does. Imagine a church that is full of self-righteous, resentful, religious rule keepers. I visit them. No, it can happen. It can happen. Self-righteous, religious, resentful rule keepers. Are they attractive places to be? Oh no. Because everyone there thinks they're perfectly good. And, and anybody who joins has got to achieve their level of goodness in order to be part of. And actually, there's often a lot of competitive and falling. Oh, and it's, it's not a nice place to be. But all churches can fall into it to a degree if we're not careful, just as we can as individuals. It's the same as an if, if, if an individual who claims to be a follower of Jesus is a self-righteous, rule-keeping, religious person, 
Is that going to attract people to Jesus? No, is it? But if the church is full of forgiven prodigals who are wearing robes, rings, and sandals and celebrating a prodigal God, that is a wonderful place to be. That's a place where God will send all the prodigals. And if we live our lives out there as prodigals who found forgiveness and grace, I think that's very attractive. I wouldn't be needed, my job. Oh, forget having a director of mission. If, 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 we, if we live like that, my goodness, mission would simply happen. So don't do it too much. So I'm out of a job. No, seriously, do. <laughs> but, but isn't this the essence of what Jesus is talking about? Isn't this true Christianity, true spirituality? It's all about our relationship with our prodigal father. And so do you know what he says to us today? Come home. Whether you've strayed a little or a lot. And, 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 and when you think about other people, if they've strayed away a lot or whatever, do you know, they can come back too. Because God is the extravagant, generous God who loves everyone, even me, with all that might appear on that screen from my last week. And he still loves me and says, come home. Let's throw a party. And God is a God of partying. And I think as a church, we need to be a church of partying and learn to rejoice in all that God gives to us. So it's today, in this service, in prayer, as we come to God's table, let's receive afresh his grace, his new beginning, day by day. Can I have a time of prayer now? And I'm going to invite as just to go on that journey of receiving more from God. The the worship team will uh, at some point just kind of